Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, it is good to see you this morning again here at Rock Spring, Rossville Online. Thank you for being here. So normally, I, t- I say now, take your Bibles and turn to, but once again, I'm doing more of a topical sermon today. So I'm going to tell you where to go in your Bible, but it's going to be a long time before we get there, and all the verses will be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, just turn there if you have your Bible. We'll get there eventually, but it, I mean, it's at the very, very end. So I started a sermon series of few weeks ago, the ultimate guide to the Christian life, how to elevate your walk with God. So we're, we're in brief, we're talking about how to get to that elevated walk with God, where we feel God speak to our heart, talk to us, like it's really that mystical walk with God that's hard to put words into. And so we want to jump there. Everybody, every Christian wants to go from the starting point to there, and it just can't happen. It won't happen. As a matter of fact, it's dangerous to search it out. You'll open yourself up if you're not careful to uh, miss truths and those type things. So, so you don't jump there. You, you have to really, can I say, you have to plow and plod yourself there as you go through the disciplines in the Christian life. And so we're talking about some of those, how we elevate our walk with God, even the discipline of prayer and forgiveness and others. Well, today, I want to deal with another one of those, and I want to preach on this five reasons you should love your Bible. Now, I'll be honest, when it comes to Bible reading, that's one of those things that most Christians say they do, but not really. Not really. We have, we might, we plan on it, but we don't. And so I want to tell you today, I I, I really want to just preach a, a motivational pastoral sermon on why I love my Bible and five reasons you ought to love yours as well. So let me get there. I, I get asked all the time. People ask me this question pretty regularly. Uh, they ask me, uh, what translation of the Bible do I use? And I, I'll tell you, that's, that's changed and morphed over the years. Every Bible verse I've ever memorized is in the King James Version of the Bible. As a matter of fact, you'll see me sometimes when I'm pointing to a verse up here, I'm pointing at one thing and quoting something else when I'm doing it because it's kind of drilled into my mind. And I've used New King James and other things, and right now I use something called a Christian Standard Bible, CSB, uh, that I love most. Now, I'll tell you, let me tell you a little bit about translations and how we got there, and this will help, help you maybe a little bit this morning determine what to use. Uh, there's something called, in the types of translations, or four types of translations of the Bible, there's something called a formal equivalence. The way we would describe that the best is a word-for-word translation of the, uh, of the Greek text if you're looking at the New Testament. Now, I want to be honest with you, word-for-word is really a misnomer. It'll confuse us a little bit because it's almost impossible to do a, we- a word-for-word translation of the Greek into English because the Greek text is so rich. I was studying uh, um, a Greek word this week that literally the Greek word was one word, and it takes a sentence in English to, to get the meaning outright for us in English, and that's oftentimes the case. And so when you go word-for-word translation, there is no translation that is word-for-word. Number one, you won't be able to read it, 
and, and number two, it doesn't go word for word. Does that make sense? Sometimes it goes word to phrase, word to sentence, and that's the best we can do because if you understand translations of any kind, they don't always go word for word. But there is the formal equivalence that sticks as close as it can to a word for word translation. These by far are your best study Bibles. If you're going to study the Bible, you always want a word for word translation. The King James, New King James, English Standard Version, New American Standard Version Bible are word for word. Secondly, there's what we call a dynamic equivalence uh, translation. And that is best described as a thought for thought translation of the Bible, thought for thought. So it takes the idea of the text and it puts that thought into our English translation. Now, these are best for maybe devotional reading. Now, I, I like to use even formal equivalents for devotional, but if you want to do devotional, uh, these are best for devotional reading. The two biggest examples of these are the NIV and the NLT, New Living Translation, are the two best dynamic equivalent uh, thought for thought translation. And then number three, these, to, use the, to call these a translation is a little bit of a stretch. It is what we would call a paraphrase, and it communicates ideas without regard for the exact translation. Ideas without the regard, and, and I almost call them a summary, and I really don't use them. Now, when I study for a sermon, I have 11 different translations open at the same time, and uh, an idea of a fair paraphrase would be the Living Bible or Eugene Peterson's The Message, and I, I'll keep the message open oftentimes, but I, I, don't, I don't go any deep on, on the message because it, it at best is a paraphrase, but in recent years, there's been a fourth type come along called optimal equivalence. An optimal equivalence is a word-for-word word translation that takes in the cultural influence on the words being used. So if you go back and you look at some very old translations, sometimes they use a translation and they translate it correctly uh, uh, 400 years ago, but that word doesn't mean the same thing. The word that they used back then doesn't mean the same thing that it means today. English, our English has morphed. So an optimal equivalence tries to take into fact that the English word has morphed and we need to use a word that more accurately describes what the Greek word was describing there. And so it, it takes into account readability and accurate translation. So the translation I use is a Christian standard Bible. It was the one that started and kind of popularized the optimal equivalence uh, version of the Bible. And that's the one I use to preach out of and study out of. Now, if none of those suit your fancy, if none of those suit your fancy, uh, just a little while ago, uh, someone published, oh, by the way, let me show you this. Uh, this is a chart. Uh, you can't see it well. Uh, the, uh, the horizontal chart is the literalness of the text. The vertical chart is the readability of the text. The, the more you get this direction, the better translation it is. And you can see the Christian Standard Bible is the one circled there. King James is very literal, uh, difficult on readability. New King James, USB, ESV, very literal. Uh, the King James gets about a 66% score on literalness, where the Christian Standard Bible gets a 65% percent score and so that gives you a little idea of where it is and you probably don't care but if you um want a, want a bible translation for the times there is the bible emoji scripture for millennials that was published recently on apple books any it was published by someone who is anonymous who said they did not want race, gender, or agenda to, to influence you when you're reading the Bible. So what, what, what they did was they took out words and they replaced the words with emojis where appropriate. So the Bible has 15% 
less words in it. And they also did things like took out the word and and put in an ampersand and first and put one ST, that kind of thing, 15% of words. So when they asked him who it was that published it, and uh, because he was anonymous, this is what he sent them was his, or they sent them was their name, was that. Sunglass emoji. So that's all we know. Now, you're, I know you're thinking, well, you might want to look at one before you run out and buy one. I agree totally. I actually tried to buy it this week, and I'll tell you why I couldn't admit it. So here's Proverbs 2 in the Emoji Bible. I'll just skip down to verse number five. Y'all can't see this well, but you, you can kind of see it. Then shalt thou understand the fear, which is the scared emoji, of the Lord, kind of angel, but I get it, and find the knowledge of the Lord. Like, I get it. Now, let me, let me give you a better, here's Genesis 1, which we all know well. In the beginning, God created the clouds and sky, but we get heavens and the world or the earth, right? Not too far off. Uh, it gets better down at verse number three. And, and uh, God said, and, and I figured that out myself. It's the little emoji for, you know, like a, like a cartoon where they speak. God said, let there be light bulbs, and there was light bulbs. So it works out great. It's great. It's a great, well, maybe off a little bit, but you, you, you get the point. It's actually not available on Apple Books anymore, but if you have an Android, it is available on your Android device. I guess it wasn't that loved after all. You don't have to have an emoji Bible in order to love your Bible. Frankly, the, maybe the most underrated Christian discipline is the regular reading and studying and meditating on the Bible. So let me tell you four things you need. This is not even the sermon. This is all preamble. Let me give you four things on how you ought to handle the Bible. Number one, you need to read the Bible. That is, you need to have an ongoing plan for how you are going to dive into the Word of God. Now, I know I talked about a little bit about this uh, a couple sermons ago that, you know, I read through my Bible every two years, and I get it. It's difficult. Like, it's, it's hard for me. I'm a preacher. It's hard to get through Leviticus. It's hard to get through Numbers. It's hard to get through uh, Ezekiel I thought would never end. It's just hard to get through some of those books. I get it. You may not want to start there. You may want to start reading through the New Testament. You may want to start reading through Proverbs or Psalms, but you ought to regularly read your Bible. Number two, you ought to meditate on your Bible. Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The word meditate is the word that's used for a cow chewing its cud, which when a cow, you, you know how a cow works, it swallows its food, brings it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, brings it back up, chews it some more, swallows it, brings, and that's the word meditate. And the Bible says that we ought to meditate on the word. That is, you take a verse, you take a passage, you read it, and you think about it, and you meditate on it for a while. Number three, you ought to study the Bible. That is when you take a specific passage, a specific topic, a specific book, a specific verse. Hey, this is fun. Even a specific word in the Greek. And you take a deep dive on the word and you bring in extra resources, extra books, extra commentaries. Then you do a deep dive on a particular passage. So much fun. But not only that, the Bible says you are to memorize the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Like you, see there, I'm quoting King James again. That's not even what I have written down on my notes, but that you get it. So you ought, to, you ought to memorize it, memorize it. Memorize, diving into the Word of God and have a passage that you memorize or passages that you memorize part of the day. You read it, you meditate it, you study it, and you memorize it. 
Now, in order to invest that much time into something, I'm going to be honest, you're going to have to love it. And reading your Bible, I want to be up front with you. Reading your Bible is one of those Christian disciplines that in the Christian life, you will not fall in love with reading your Bible until you actually read your Bible. Like, you're not going to fall in love thinking about reading your Bible. I've heard the same thing from people who exercise. I wouldn't know personally, but I've heard from you. Right? Like you go to the gym every day and you talk about, I'll tell you who the worst are, not worst, I love you, the runners in the room, whoever runs, the people who run are like, oh, I, if, I couldn't give up running. I, I gave it up, never ran. Like it was no problem for me, no problem at all for me to give up running. As a matter of fact, if you sit down right now and you say, preacher, I want to go run with you tomorrow, I would rather catch the flu. I don't want, I don't want anything to do with it. And you say, well, if you just push through, I get it, don't even want to push through, like, Give me a bag of Doritos. I'm fine. I, I don't want to push through. I don't want to push through. I don't want to do it. But I get I've heard you say. I've heard those words like, you know, you just do it every day and you start loving it. I get it. I, I appreciate you being that way and, and praying for me. I, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Can I tell you this? The Bible's a little bit of the same way. You hear a sermon on the Bible and a little bit you're like, whew, the Bible's hard to read. Boy, that's going to take up time. Where am I going to get that from? But can I tell you this? When you dive into the Word of God, you will begin to love your Bible. I've always said this about your Bible. If you will get hold of your Bible, your Bible will get hold of you. You get to the place where you love it. So all I want to do this morning is provide some motivation for you spending time reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the Word of God. Why would you do that? Can I give you just five reasons I love my Bible and five reasons you ought to love yours? Number one is this. I love my Bible because the Bible was written for me. You ought to love your Bible because the Bible was written for you. Here's what Paul said in Romans 15, 4. For whatever is written in the past was written for our instruction, so we may have hope through endurance and through encouragement from the Scriptures. And here's what Paul was trying to say, that that the Bible was written for you. Now, don't be confused. The Bible was not written to you. There, sometimes you'll see somebody say that the Bible is God's love letter to me. That, that's not exactly true. The Bible was written to whom the, it was written to. So if you look at the book of Ephesians in the Bible, it was written to the church at Ephesus. If you look at the book of Timothy, it was written to the pastor Timothy. If you look at the book of Titus, it was written to Titus. If you look at the book of Hebrews, it was written to the Hebrew nation. It often says that right in the very first uh, verse or two. But listen, the Bible may not be written to you, but the Bible was definitely written for you. God in his divine providence made the Bible not only apply to the original recipient but he made it apply to me and you as well. And here's what Paul told us. That the Bible, number one, was written for our instruction. He says it right here, for our instruction. So that we could learn how to live the Christian life. Number two, is written for our endurance so that we could learn how to endure in the Christian life. So sometimes it's hard. And number three, it was written for our encouragement. Because there are times in the Christian life you need comfort and encouragement. And number four, it was written for our hope. So that we have hope not just in this life, but hope in the next life as well. The Bible was written for you. I love the Bible not just because it's a good book, but because God just didn't save me and leave me on my own to figure out the Christian life. He gave me the Bible to be my constant source of encouragement and my constant guide in the Christian life. You could not do it without the Bible because I want to be honest with you. There are things in the Bible that are counterintuitive to what our flesh and, and even sometimes what the world would say. You say, well, I, I could have figured out the Bible. I could have figured out the Christian life without the Bible. You couldn't have. You couldn't have. Because this Bible says things like this. Love 
your enemies. You, you, you wouldn't do that without the Bible. This Bible says, pray for them who despitefully use you. You wouldn't do that without your Bible. You, you'd pray for them. It'd be like, Lord, kill them. Amen. Like you'd pray, I mean, but not, that's not what it means. Right? The, the Bible says things like this. It's more blessed to give than receive. And get that, get that. That definitely applies to money, but get it out of your money realm. Don't think about money. In life, in all areas of life, givers are more blessed than takers. That's what the Bible says. Well, that, that, that's, that doesn't even make common sense to a lot of us. It's like, no, it's more fun to get. Your, your, your six-year-old thinks it's more fun to get, and they keep that same mentality until the Bible tells them different. And so I'm going to tell you, you think, well, I'd figure out the Christian life. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You couldn't. You couldn't. The, the, the Christian life would be uber complex were it not for this. And he, hear me. The Bible was written for you to take away the complexities so you could live the Christian life. How many of you know what, how many of you know what this is? How you know what, you know what that is? Remember Rubik's Cube? Do you know what it was called before it was called Rubik's Cube? It was called the Magic Cube when it first came out. This is, this is actually Erno Rubik, who is the guy who invented it, who is actually releasing an autobiography this week. And he, and he, he tells, in, in his biography, he, t- he tells a story. Uh, it was in the New York Times. He tells a story about when he first invented the cube. It took him forever to invent it. He was a, he's a doctor, uh, a college professor, and he was trying to come up with something to help teach mathematics. And so he invented it. It's, it's really pretty complex to just sit down and make that yourself. And he put it together. And after he got it all put together and it worked, he, there were no colors on it. It was just a big wooden block. And so he painted the six sides different colors. And after he painted them six colors, he mixed it all up and thought that was pretty neat. And then he needed to get it back solved. He hadn't thought it through that far. Erno Rubik, who invented the Rubik Cube, it took him a month to solve his own contraption. Did you know that when it first went on the market and until today, it is the biggest selling toy in the world for all time? Over 350 million units sold. Did you know this when it was released in, in 1980? That in 1981, three of the top ten books on the New York Times bestseller list were books on how to solve the Rubik's Cube. Three of the top ten books on the New York Times. One was written by a 13-year-old boy who wrote a book for his friends to figure it out. His dad was the president of Penguin Publishing House, and his dad published a book, and it was New York Times bestseller. 13-year-old kid. Let's, let's be honest. Online, pay along. Rossville, you guys pay, play along with me, all right? How many of you have ever solved a Rubik's Cube? Let me see your hand. How, how many of you would rather be waterboarded like me? Let me, see your, let me see your hand. No interest whatsoever. I mean, I owned a bunch of them, but as someone told me this morning, the only way I'd get it solved was take the stickers off and reapply them after it was all said and done. Yuxing, Yuxing Du, China. 2018, solved the Rubik's Cube in 3.47 seconds. Matter of fact, it was a big Rubik's Cube tournament, which you probably didn't even know there was, but there is a big Rubik's Cube tournament in China. And they had all these people set up at tables and they had buzzers and clocks on them. And, and so they were, and people were just trying, like there's a certain way you have to mix it up and they mix them up, drop it down, the buzzer sounds, you solve it, hit a button and a clock. And like they weren't even videoing this kid. 
You see him later on jumping up and down after he solves it. They weren't even videoing this kid. 3.47 seconds. Now, it's not the fastest solve. The fastest solve in the world was by a non-human, which I have to pull my glasses on for this, non-human. The fastest non-human Rubik's Cube solve was by Rubik's Contraption, a robot who solved the Rubik's Cube, get this, in 0.38 seconds using a nucleo with men two phase algorithm. And I have no idea what I just said. Did you know if you managed to turn the Rubik's Cube once a second, it would take you 1.4 trillion years to go through all the permutations of a Rubik's Cube. As a matter of fact, mathematicians tell us there are that many permutations of the Rubik's Cube. I know you know that number because that was what was in your checking account this morning, right? That same, that same number. If you don't know what that number is, that is 43 quintillion and some change. Because I don't know what all that is. 43 quintillion followed by 18 digits. Can I tell you how big of a number that is? If you had 43 quintillion dollars and you spent, hang with me, a trillion dollars a day. How many of you think you could spend a trillion dollars a day? Let me see your hand. All right, so you must work for the federal government, right? So a trillion dollars a day. How long would it take you to spend 43 quintillion, I can't even say it, quintillion dollars? How long would it take you? You may have an idea? Somebody want to guess? Trillion dollars a day. How long would it take you to spend this? A trillion dollars a day. How long would it take you to spend this? It would take you 118,000 years. That's how complex the Rubik's Cube is. Can I be totally honest? As complex as the Rubik's Cube is, the Christian life would be so much harder without the Bible. Without the word of God, you'd never figure out that Jesus was the way to heaven. Without the word of God, you'd never figure out you couldn't earn your way to heaven. Without the word of God, you would spend 118,000 years trying to be good enough to get to heaven. You'd never figure out how you were supposed to live. You'd never figure out what God wants you to do. The Christian life is too complex, but get this. God wrote the Bible for you so you could figure it out. God wrote the Bible for you so you could know how to be saved. That's why it's imperative that we pick it up it's imperative that we read it it's it's urgent that we learn it and love it and study it how much time do you spend really spend in the bible how much time do you really spend letting god pour this word into your heart and into your life listen i love it because it was written for me number number two i want to tell you i love it because it will reveal the real you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word there, thoughts, is the pondering, imagination, hidden thoughts. The intentions is the deliberation, the reasoning, the perceptions of the heart. Can I tell you a sentence this morning that, you know, there is, 
There's, hey, look this way. If you're watching online, look this way. Ross will look this way. There's a difference between the real you and the you you project. Here's how I like to say it, and this is awful English, but it rhymes, so that makes it easier to learn. There's the me you see, and there's the me I be. Right? The me you see is a little different than the me I be. That's true in your life. That's true in all of our lives. I I can prove it to you. You You've had those Sundays, right? It doesn't even have to be church, but let's use church. You've had that Sunday where on the morning with the kids in the back seat, it just all of the demons of hell crawled in the back seat of your car on the way to church. Kids are screaming, they're yelling at you, and y'all are yelling back at them, and you're driving crazy on this highway, and they've thrown shoes out the windows, and you don't even care on the way to church. Like, it is just bedlam. You know the devil is in the car, and you can name him. Like, you know that, like, he's there. You pull up and it's loud and the car's rocking and you're in the parking lot and you parked way out so you could finish the fist fight before anybody saw you. And a church member pulls up right beside you for some stupid reason. (laughs) And they fling the door open and you fling the door open and with steel, with, with anxiety, stress dripping off your forehead, you look at them and go, isn't it a good day to be in the Lord's house? Amen. You don't care. You don't care. Because there's the me you see and there's the me I be. We all have some of that in us. And I want to tell you something. The difference, the more the difference between the you you are and the you you project, the more trouble we have. The more difference between the you you are but the you you project, you know what the Bible calls that? Hold on, hypocrisy. The more the difference between the you you are and the you project, we got issues. And let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let me draw it like this way. There is the private me, the real me. There's the public me, the fake me. And there's Jesus, what I ought to be. And can I tell you this? The, the, the bigger these gaps, the more trouble we're going to have. The bigger this gap, the more trouble we have. The bigger this gap, the more trouble we have. And what too many times we focus all of our time, hang with me, we focus all of our time and attention on this instead of this too many times we're trying to spend too much energy convincing you of our godliness convincing you of the real us convincing you of who we are and god's not interested in that at all as a matter of fact god speaks against that over and over in the bible let me tell you what god wants god wants the real you to go down this line right here and get as close to jesus as what you can possibly be god wants the me you see to be the me i really be The more we close those gaps, the less hypocrisy I have in my life and the more like Jesus I really am. Can I tell you what the Bible does? I said all that to say this. This Bible closes those gaps because it gets down into the nitty-gritty of my heart to show me my thoughts and my intentions and my imagination and my ponderings And this Bible reveals the real you. You you can fake me. You can fake your wife a little bit. Fake your kids. You can fake your husband. You can fake your friends. You can fake your Sunday school teacher. You, you you, you, You can't fake this. 
it knows. It knows. You, you can sit down and read that Bible. And I, I want to promise you, you, you get into this word on a regular basis and you're struggling with something in your life and you got a big gap over here. I want you to know this Bible will plow right through that gap every time. And somebody said this statement smarter than me a long time ago. Either sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin one way or the other. And when the Bible gets down into the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, I have a decision to make. Am I going to close this gap or am I going to widen it? Because this book will reveal the real you. I love it. Number three, I love my Bible because it will give you what you need to get to where you need to go. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be complete. Now, I'm not even dealing with all that. Look at this, equipped for every good work. Now, Paul wrote the book of Timothy to a pastor, Timothy. Timothy was a young man in the faith. He was a young pastor over a growing church. And Paul wrote to him to tell him, hey, I'm writing to you so that you understand the Bible is what you need. The Bible is your God. The Bible will give you everything. As a matter of fact, Timothy said this, the Bible will equip you for every, Paul said this, Timothy, the Bible will equip you for every good work. Every good work. Now, look, I, I can safely take that out of the pastoral realm and bring it over in the Christian life realm and set it down in front of me and tell, me th tell you this, I love my Bible. You ought to love your Bible because it will equip you for everything you need to do in life. It will give you what you need to get you where you need to go. What do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. Do you need to be a better husband? Say amen, men. Can I tell you that nothing will get you there faster than your Bible? You need to be a better wife. Men don't say a word. You need to be a better wife. The Bible will get you there faster than anything else will get you there. You need to be a better employee. The Bible will get you there. Better business owner. The Bible will get you there. Better parent. The Bible will get you there. Better teenager. The Bible will get you there. It'll give you what you need to get you where you need to go. The Bible has you covered. Where do you need to go in life? What do you need to improve in life? Can I tell you this? This Bible is not a self-help book, but it's the best self-help you will find anywhere. Because it will get you what you need to get you where you need to go. The Bible. It will equip you, Paul said, for every good work if you'll spend time with it. Number four, I want to tell you this. I love my Bible because it will show you where to go. I love this verse. You know it, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Life can be confusing sometimes. Can I get an amen right there? So confusing. Hey, can we be truthful? There are times in your life where you have no idea what to do. Can you agree with that? There are times you don't know what to do. And there's times, times you don't have a Bible verse to help you, right? There are times you don't have Bible. So if you're trying to decide on what job to take there is not a bible verse that says thou shalt worketh at shaweth and not mohawketh right there's not a bible verse that says that it's nowhere in there i've looked it's not in there at all it's not in there at all you're not gonna find it you say preacher i'm having to make a decision about a job what do i do i've got to make a decision about my family what do i do uh, about my finances about my health that list goes on and on and on what do i do and can i tell you this the truth is the bible will show you where to go does it three primary ways. I don't even have it on the screen, but jot them down if you're taking notes. Can I, can I three, three things that will help you when it comes time? When you need to make a decision, it will it'll, it'll light your path and illuminate your path uh, 
three things it'll do. Number one, it'll illuminate the wrong. It'll illuminate the wrong. Sometimes we are actually deciding between right and wrong, and we don't know it. Sometimes there, we're, we're working on a decision, and we can't figure out what to do. We don't have a Bible verse, and they both look good. But can I tell you this? If you will dive into your Bible when it's time to make a decision, there are many times in your life the Bible will eliminate the wrong. And you'll be reading your Bible, and you'll be like, oh, oh, preacher, man, I didn't even know that, God. I didn't know that'd be wrong. And can I tell you this? There have been times in my life, in my ministry, it will happen after this. It's happened so many times before this. People who hear me preach every week will come to me, and they'll say something like this, preacher, I know the Bible says thou I sh- that you shouldn't do this, but I feel like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. When the Bible says thou shalt not, Thou betterst not. When the Bible says thou shalt, you you, you might want to go ahead. Listen, hear me. The Spirit of God will never contradict the Word of God. Never, never. So don't, don't, don't come to me and say, I know the Bible says but. The minute you said but, I'm checked out. Because the Spirit of God won't come. And so, you know what the Bible does? It eliminates the wrong. Let me tell you the second thing, dude. It illuminates the right. You, you, you have a decision to make. I'm going to tell you, the Bible will clear away all that stuff that would be wrong. But I'll tell you what else it'll do. It will illuminate the right thing to do. Illuminate. And number three, it accentuates the results. It'll put your, its focus on where the decision needs to be. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, preacher, well, wait a minute. Is that, look, you say, what if I get down between two good choices? Then do what you want to do. Amen. What a great place to be, right? The Bible can get you there. I'm not telling you that with the Bible, all the decisions are easy. But I'm telling you, if you'll filter every decision through the Word of God, decisions get a whole lot easier because it's a lamp for your feet. It's a light on your path. Number five, I'm finished. I love my Bible because it'll help me weather the storms of life. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It's on the screen. Here's, here's what Jesus said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded the house. And it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew, pounded the house. And it collapsed. And it collapsed with a great crash. Simply put, Jesus said this. Read the Bible, do what what it says. And here's what Jesus said. When the storms of life come, you'll be able to stand. You'll weather the storms. Hear the Bible, don't do what it says. When the storms of life come, by the way, it was the same exact storm, you'll fall. That's why I love my Bible and why you should love your Bible. Because this book prepares us for what lies ahead. You say, preacher, what lies ahead? I don't know. I don't know what what storms lie ahead in your life. I don't know what storms lie ahead in my life. I don't know what's around my corner. I don't know what's around yours. I just know I need to be ready for them. In his word, obedience to this word, learning this word, hearing it and heeding it all at the same time 
gets me ready for whatever lies ahead. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. March 2019, Freedom Ministries Church in Grandview, West Virginia. The fire department was called because the church was on fire. It was a devastating fire. The fire was so hot that at one point the firefighters had to all back away from the blaze and just let the building burn. But on the Grandview, West Virginia Facebook page, fire department Facebook page, not the pastor, the fire department. As they were going through the charred wreckage and the ashes of the building, they started to notice something extraordinary and they began to pick them up. And that was Bible after Bible after Bible after Bible was fine. They couldn't find a single Bible in the building that was burned. No burned pages, just a little soot and ash on them from the fire around it. Everything else around it destroyed to ashes. And in the ashes, Bible after Bible after Bible. The fire department put that photo up, not the pastor of the fire department with no explanation. I, I, I read the story, I have no explanation, apart from this, the hand of God spared those Bibles. I don't know what all that means, but I know this, when the devil tries to burn your life down, it's that Bible I want rooted and grounded in my heart, my life, my family, all that I am. Because I can't promise you it'll never burn down in the building. I promise you it'll never burn down in your life. It'll never let you down, never let you go wrong, never steer you in a way you shouldn't go. That's why I love my Bible. It was written for me. It reveals the real me. It'll give me everything I need to get me where I need to go. It'll light the paths of my feet and it'll help me weather the storms of life. That's just five. If you love your Bible, if you want to love your Bible, here's what you've got to do. Read it, meditate it, study it, memorize it. So, preacher, I don't really love my Bible. Just start doing this. Read it, meditate it, study, memorize it. Read it, meditate it, study, memorize it. Read it. I'm, I'm, not, even say, I'm not saying you've got to read chapter a day. Read a verse a day, study. Take, take an hour a week and study. Medi- write, I used to do this all the time. Write down a verse on a card, and I think through it all day. I text it myself and think through a verse all day. Now it's usually my sermon uh, scripture, and I, just, I, I keep that in my heart all day. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Memorize it. And can I tell you this? You will fall in love with your Bible. Stand with me. If you're at Ross Ford at Rock Spring, let's stand together. Hey, if you're online, hang with me. If you're online, hang with me for, I'll be done in three minutes. Hang with me. Hey, if you're a Christian, no matter where you are, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to do this if you're a believer. I'm going to come back and talk to you in a moment. If you're a believer, will you begin right now and examine how you handle the Word of God? And I want you to come up with a with a plan and a process and a place and how you're going to spend time in the Word. And I want you to spend that time alone with the Lord just now. If you're not a Christian, would you look this way? No matter where you are, online, in, in a room somewhere, would you look this way? If you're not a Christian, let me tell you the sixth thing I love about the Bible is it shows me how I can be saved. For without it, we wouldn't know it was the blood of Jesus and His resurrection that saved us. We wouldn't know it without it. Here's what it says about being saved. That A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourselves. 
Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven because I know me. You've got to admit that you can't save yourself or earn it. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again on the third day for our victory. That's the gospel story. C, finally, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So whether you're at Rossville, whether you're here in Rock Spring, whether you're online, if you'd like to become a Christian today, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you, but the thought of your heart, the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life and become your Savior and you become a Christian. I'm just leading you in prayer to help you pray for the first time. So if you want to become a Christian, bow your heads and pray this with me, something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself or earn heaven. But I know that Christ died on the cross for my sin. I believe that, that he rose again on the third day. And just now invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sin, and give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, Christians, keep your head bowed. But if you just prayed to become a Christian, I want to tell you, you are born again. And I want you to look this way. I want you to take out your phone and text, I did, to the number 97,000. Here's why. There's, there's about seven steps you need to know immediately in the Christian life. You're going to be frustrated if you don't know what they are. And we're going to send you a booklet in the mail that tells you those seven steps. We're not coming to your house. Literally just going to mail you something, but we need some information from you. So if you'll text I did to 97,000, we'll get that info from you. And if you're watching this at any time, you may be watching on the app later on during the week, Monday Night Rewind, whenever you may be watching it. Anytime, text I did to 97,000. That'll get the process started. Now let's all bow our heads. Christians, how, how, how deeply do you handle the Word of God? And we'll ask because we most of the time raise our hand, but we really, when we raise our hand, we meet, I've read it. I used to read it. I read it some. That's not the question. The question is, do you have that time where you're pouring yourself into the Bible? Maybe at night before you go to bed. Maybe early in the mornings. Maybe it's your lunchtime. I don't know. I don't know. Figure it out and do it. And you'll fall in love with your Bible. Oh, and what it'll mean to you. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Oh, how hard, how impossible, difficult the Christian life would be without it. But Lord, you wrote that for us. Thank you. Thank you that that's our guide for figuring out the Christian life. So Lord, I pray that we'd treat it with the respect it deserves. Pour our heart and soul into it. And then Lord, really help us to fall in love with your Word. It'll change us It'll change our families, it'll change our church, it'll change our community if we just fell in love with your word. Lord, may it be so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, pvine.org. Thanks for listening.